reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. This is the place where we speak truth to power, where beginning years ago and fighting the battle against radical Islam, yours truly began to unroof and discuss and talk about the root cause of radical Islam, the ideology of political Islam, that it's not just radicalism, it is about theocracy. And therein was born this movement, this idea, this podcast, where we talk about all those things that uh, were related to assimilation, integration, and the battle for Western identity, Western freedom, and preservation of the principles that we hold dear. And this has become a platform for other ideas that I may bring into the mix. And now as we fight coronavirus and figure out the best strategy for our country, for our families, for our states and communities, I hope I can add a little more than two liras, two cents, two dollars, in my quest to, with you, keep us safe, keep us healthy, and keep our priorities right. As many of us stay home with our families, we are struck by the blessings of those that we hold dear, that we often forget, and circumstances at hand bring us together to strengthen those relationships and bring us to a more thoughtful approach to our families, to our priorities, and who we are as individuals, as families, as Americans, and as citizens of our countries, be it America or wherever you may be. Finding time, and that's the silver lining, I think ultimately also we're being forced into something that is very unnatural. You know, I think it's easy to talk about six-foot separation. It's easy for people to say that they'll never hug, they'll never shake hands again with strangers because of fear of germs as we all become chic in our germophobia, if you will, because it protects you, protects you from transmission of viruses, etc. But I do hope and pray, you know, I'm not, I'm going to get back to hugging and, and uh, shaking hands with my patients, with people that I hold dear, that I'm honored to be with and be a part of. And, you know, it's part of that acceptable risk, acceptable risk of being human, just like the acceptable risk of being accomplished and communicating and traveling is the risk of driving, the risk of flying, etc. We have an acceptable risk. Our government has forced our citizens to prolong physical distancing, and it's dictated that because of a concern of transmission to try to flatten that curve, which we've heard so much about, but it's flattening our economy. It's flattening our affect. It's flattening our communication. We're trying to find ways to band-aid that. It's just mitigating. Zoom coffee hours, coffee meetings, Zoom happy hours. 
are certainly helping pass the time, but it can't be permanent. It's inhuman to be separated this much. It's unnatural. And I think this is one of the things that we seem to have lost. Why isn't anybody talking about how unnatural the separation is? That many of the pathologies of social media included a distant lack of physical touch, a lack of humanity, an obsession on the materialist with constant self-photos over and over being sent in a superficial, non-human way, more in a materialistic skin-deep kind of way. And many of the uh, millennials, if you will, that relished in that environment had still that physical connection that they would often get together and go to the malls and and gather in their groups while they were Snapchatting across the internet, but yet physically two feet away. And now they're realizing that they needed that physical proximity, they needed that closeness, and it's creating a huge spike in depression, spike in worthlessness, despite all of our efforts to try to mitigate that as families and otherwise. This distance in creating new pathologies. Hopefully it won't last too long. Hopefully we can begin to open the economies. We've heard this week from Governor Abbott in Texas that he's seriously contemplating opening their economy again. This is a governor's decision. Sure, the president can, on the federal level, make admonitions, recommendations, and then the governors may follow suit. But A, this is a free country, and B, each of the economies and the risks and the proportionality varies from state to state. What's good for New York City, which is ground zero in the epicenter of this fight on coronavirus, may not necessarily be good for other states, not to mention the economic health of the states around them may be helpful to helping New York pick up also later. All of these things need to be made not only by medical doctors that are part of a coronavirus task force from state to state and federally, but task forces that include the panoply, the diversity of interests involved here from economics to business to social faith and otherwise. That's, that is the collective decision-making that we need to have as a community, as a country, as we crawl out of this morass as we beat this virus, the morass that the virus put us into because of what started under the Chinese regime, the communist regime that refused to address what needed to be addressed. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I've said that America needs a new axiom. As much as I love the brilliance of Dr. Tony Fauci and so many of the others, Dr. Bricks and others who've proven their metal, who've proven that they can give us the advice we need. Is it the right advice? Is there medical advice to be applied to other things? And do we make those medical decisions in a vacuum? Might have been right for the first few weeks. Is it right for six, 12 weeks? Now they're saying it may extend 18 months with changes to include immunity cards. Immunity cards that verify your immunity to coronavirus. Coronavirus. Do we need a new axiom that says that which makes sense medically may not make sense constitutionally, economically, or culturally for America? 
That would make sense medically. May not make sense constitutionally, economically, or culturally for America. Where has been the discussion about whether the governors have the power to do the things that medical professionals like myself have called upon them to do? We can recommend, heavily recommend, that people do social distancing, physical distancing, and try to stay at home, etc. But through authoritarian means, we're now calling upon neighbors to report others if there's collections of cars in front of their homes. Reporting others. License plates at churches being taken pictures of and then coming home knocking on your door is the police saying you must be quarantined for 14 days. Senator Rand Paul asked the appropriate question. Where have we gone to? What did we leave behind? Let's take a step back, as he said. Come on, seriously? Quarantining people for celebrating Easter? And by the way, a blessed, a blessed Easter to my Christian friends and a blessed Passover to my Jewish friends. May your seasons, season of prayer, of holiness, of atonement, be fulfilled and may all your prayers be answered and your loved ones be healthy. Can't help but think of sort of the metaphor of Benjamin Rush, right? Benjamin Rush was one of the founding fathers, a physician, was I think the treasurer of the mint or something like that at the time, was involved in a lot of the discussions of liberty and freedom that became the bedrock of who we are as Americans. I'm put out on social media this week. I said, what would he be saying from the grave? From that, from that proverbial doctor's lounge in the sky. What would he be saying? What would Benjamin Rush be saying as we Talk about the limits. What are the limits? Do we have the limits? Whispers from Benjamin Rush's ghost in the proverbial doctor's lounge of humanity. And this is, by the way, taken from Benjamin Franklin's quote, which, by the way, was twisted as being pro-liberty when, in fact, he was actually talking about security. Any which we could say today, those who would exchange liberty for the health promised by the dictates of our government's latest ever-changing indefinite pandemic models deserve neither, unquote. <laughs> I just made that up, but that is the question, isn't it? That is the question. What are the priorities? What can we sacrifice? Maybe when it's all said and done, I'm not telling you seriously that I disagree with a stay-at-home order for two, three, three weeks maybe. But once you start getting past four weeks, you're talking about an irreparable change to our economy that brings about with it a lot of death and, and economic destitution and otherwise that this government can't simply solve by throwing cash at us as we see the unemployment rise to almost 
of the workforce now has applied for unemployment already. With health care, with the health of our citizenry being affected psychologically and economically as they'll be less and less able to pay for the medicines they need to stay healthy from the most chronic conditions that millions die of a year. We have to ask those questions. And then the not-so-rhetorical question becomes what values, what freedoms, what civil liberties, and with what burden of proof, and for how long a time are you willing to sacrifice them under the government's imposition that it's for the proportional well-being of our fellow citizens? I, I can't believe we're not having this debate on a daily basis talks about uh, opening the economy are done in sort of a, oh, by the way, yeah, we got to do that, don't we? President Trump's making the toughest decision of his, of his administration in deciding whether to open the economy. That's true. But it needs to be more than simply passing by and then, oh, let's go back to the 98% coverage of bandwidth, which is related to the virus and all the other stressors that that brings itself medically. ICU admissions and discharges and otherwise. And I think some of the numbers appear to show that, yeah, flattening the curve may have worked. And I say may because, come on, we want to see that we had a cause-effect scenario. You see so many people thanking Americans for for the solutions that they did by, by agreeing to follow the government's order to stay at home and then saying that that's the cause-effect. When in fact, countries like Sweden did not have a stay-at-home order. Now 40% of their population works from home. There may be some other demographics at play here, but they did not have a stay-at-home order. They did not shutter all the businesses. Some of the restaurants stayed open, etc. And it does not appear, now they're starting to say, oh, look at the deaths that have happened now. The deaths are going up exponentially there. It's still in the hundreds. Population is much smaller, but there is no evidence yet that in that simple non-double-blinded study, but difference in approach, that there's been much to show that it's worth the economic destitution that the stay-at-home orders have caused. And again, I say this as somebody that cares for every life that wants nobody, not one more life to get sicker than the other, but I can do this as a life balance, if you will the lives affected by economic destitution versus the lives affected by coronavirus spread without the physical distancing mandates and dictates. How are we going to answer those questions? Are we answering them? I don't think we are. Are we having a balanced debate? And, you know, isn't it great to be, wouldn't it be great to be one of these left media in which must be nice that they're always right. They forget that in February they were mocking President Trump for banning travel from China, saying it was racist, that they were mocking as Pelosi went to Chinatown and had video of her saying in February 19th or 15th, of her affinity for her communities, as opposed to other bigots on the right, she said. And now all of a sudden they're saying, oh, 
The Trump administration didn't close things early enough, didn't pay attention to the virus, has been wantonly discriminatory. And sure enough, that propaganda is picked up by Islamists. Islamists from the chats I see on Zoom and elsewhere of imams saying, can you believe kids, Muslim kids, can you believe this country won't even take serious this type of virus and yet they wanted to shut down this country for 9-11 there, and the lives lost because of coronavirus have been because they're not doing what needs to be done. This is what I've heard. And American imams comparing it to what happened after 9-11, it's patently false. We did not shut down the economy. Airlines were shut down for, for weeks, a few weeks. Economy did not shut down. We're doing a lot more to respond to coronavirus than anything that even pales in comparison to what happened to this country after 9-11, after Fort Hood, London after 7-7, after 2005. Whatever example you want to use, nothing compares to the shutdown and, and, and draconian measures being used today after COVID-19 in the name of health, comparing what was done in the name of terror, and yet the propaganda being spread to to Muslim kids is fed from the left's reckless, dishonest propaganda in which they want to blame President Trump as before doing too much and now not doing enough, in which in their world they are always right and everything that happens is always the fault of the left, of the right. Because when you sit on the left, it's always their fault. It's us versus them. It's not about being American. It's about being partisan. And then that feeds into the red-green alliance, that alliance between the left and the Islamists, in which the Islamists then take on the tone of blaming whatever part of America they can in order to tear up the unity, the consciousness of our national identity. The ISIS folks now are at the Al-Hawwal refugee camp. You see video on memory in which they say, only the infidels are getting the COVID virus. Only the infidels. And then the reporter asks him, as they as they mass gather in the in the throngs of refugees, what about the what's happening here and here in Iran and elsewhere? They say, well, this is this is corrupt leadership. These are not real Muslims. These are Muslims that are evil and corrupt and deserve it. So they're also infidels. This is God's wrath. And Muslims don't have a monopoly on the end of days scenarios, in which. A regular old virus that can be attributed to the wet markets in China and Wuhan, similar to the type of production of virus that happened with SARS and with MERS and elsewhere. But they want to blame somebody else. They want to blame it. They want to say that they know they have a direct connection to God and they know that this is a byproduct of society in which it's his wrath. I'm sorry, that shows the 
not only the, the idiocy and their ignorance, but it also shows what we're up against. And that if we don't get our messaging and we don't have clarity and debate and public transparency, the, the, the shifting propaganda that happens will be used against us by even bigger enemies. Will be used against us by even bigger enemies. Let's step back for a second. The family time that we've had, sitting at home, did a little Netflix, that's binge on some things that I'm sure many of you have been binging on. But we also picked up some board games. And those board games are interesting. And, you know, we I, I learned recently, and many of you may say, oh, it took so long for the... Uh, Jazzers to come around. Well, my kids have been playing this. It's called Catan. Played that uh, last night. And it's fascinating that... And it actually saddens me that we don't spend more time doing things like this. And it took a pandemic and stay-at-home orders to get us to do that. Though we have played some board games before, but it's a little more focused right now. And... and uh, Obvious, but Catan. This is sort of this uh, uh, map of a region with areas on the map of hexagonal redundancy, in which each player gets roads and cities and settlements that you can then lay to connect each of the hexagonal areas that are randomly generated numbers. And then you start getting cards that have different products that you need. Wheat, rocks, or sheep, wood, things that you need to construct. And then you have a legend that tells you how much it costs to get these things and build. And then you win when you get to a certain number of victory points. And whatever the the construct is, it takes a little bit to learn it. But once you do, it sort of teaches you that what is cash, what is money. You don't even need it in this game. It's sort of a uh, not a spinoff, but it's a little different permutation of some of what many of us grew up with, which was Monopoly. And you realize that there's a lot of free market elements to this. The the synergy of cooperation. The 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 teaching point that there's randomness to people that succeed related to luck related to also self-interest and there's some self-interest to be found in working together and there's some areas in which you can't work together in which you take some products and move them over at the expense of others all being learned from a little board game called Catan (laughs) And then there's a robber that if you throw a seven, you can move that into block somebody's ability to gather resources and then you take one of theirs. And I think that robber could be any part of the, from human beings that are corrupt to viruses that wash their way through. So there's a lot of analogies and metaphors there, but I do think at the end of the day it is, it is 
very illuminating that we can learn, we can engage our families without being stuck at the screens, without being stuck at the same old paradigms that are part of the news, and learn from a little game like Catan. <laughs> yeah, and I lost. First time we played it. <laughs> Last, you know, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm still struck by the the sort of what's happening in foreign countries with the data, first of all, that we get that's useless, right? You see now there's 1.9 million people that have had tested positive with corona globally. Okay, those are the people that were tested by countries that reported them really. America has over half a million of those positive. And does that mean we have a quarter of the cases? (laughs) I don't think so. Egypt, a country that's come around and it's fighting against the Brotherhood and others, and you could say that in some way it has had some positive movement, but certainly not in the barometers of freedom and liberty and democracy. But certainly if you're looking at a barometer of anti-Islamism and anti-ISIS, etc., they've come around a bit. But uh, nothing done on the back of tyranny and autocracy is going to result in change that is lasting or ultimately defeats our real enemies. But that's not what I want to talk about today. They released a number that said just this weekend, 126 new coronavirus cases bring a total 2,065 in Egypt. Seriously? We're supposed to believe that Egypt, a country of 80 million people, crowded together with poverty rates that are so high, has simply 2,000 cases of coronavirus? Sort of tells you how useless the national numbers are and the the state-to-state numbers that come from authoritarian nations. And thus tells you that this is, again, West versus... The autocracies. Can't believe the numbers. You can't believe the reality. They're not going to tell us because ultimately it'll mean that their people will know how much they lie. And that their lack of willingness to tell us the truth, whether it's China or Egypt or Russia, is not about them actually not wanting to tell the West. It's about what the real data would do to their internal population, especially in a post-Arab awakening country like Egypt that realized how on its knees the government can be if 10 million people go to the streets. Bill Maher, who I'm often, if not most of the time, not a fan of and find particularly irritating, had a very rational approach this weekend with a video that was his monologue that he did from home for his show in which he talked about the the, the severe, severe hypocrisy of the left and the death of liberalism as he sees it, liberalism of the left with a different meaning than the classical liberalism that I embrace 
and many of you embrace. But he said that it is possible for somebody to have in their head the same two ideas. One is that you are not anti anti Asian American, that you are in fact pro-Asian American, and yet anti-Chinese government, anti-Chinese communist, anti-CCP party. And that ultimately is two ideas the same person can have. Now, if the bigots want to exploit calling the virus a Chinese or a Wuhan virus, that can't prevent us from having a conversation we need to have because some bigots will idiotically exploit that. President for Life G. Meanwhile, is too busy torturing, maiming, terrorizing 3 million Muslim Uyghurs, not to mention Christians and Tibetan Buddhists and others. It reminds me, this is appropriate metaphor comparing it to the viral ideology. We're talking about this is an actual virus, but the ideology of radical Islam, whether it's the source of Salafi jihadism that I've talked to you about from Saudi Arabia is Wahhabism. If you don't know what those are, basically it's the militant jihadist ideology that wants to create Islamic states. It has its corporate sources of Saudi Arabia and Qatar and elsewhere, and its populist sources of the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda and ISIS and Hamas. That spreads virally, gets into the head of Nidal Hassans and the Tsarnaya brothers of Boston and Others and that viral spread needs to be mitigated by a counter ideology, a counter political Islam. And how often did we get pushback from the left and others that it was racist, it was it was un American to to even talk about Islam and, and political Islam in the same breath that that somehow this was ignorant, etc. And yet now it seems the same thing. Every time their penchant is to divide us into driving the motives of what we do as related to race rather than solutions, rather than rational discourse of actual ideologies. As Bill Maher said, imagine if you had found that virus had originated from Hot Pockets or something like that. Do you think the United States would not have done everything in our power to try to eradicate it? And yet, the wet markets have reopened now in China. And they're denying that it has anything to do with it. Why is that? They have time to, to torture 3 million Muslims in concentration camps, and yet they don't have time to do away with the wet markets? And they're an authoritarian government. It's not even about freedom. They can, they can kill... And, and and torture families for not having for having more than one child, which is genocidal. But they can't seem to own up to what the coronavirus did or is doing, and we're waiting for another one to come out in the next few years, as we now work feverishly and spend billions, trillions to defeat this one. I mean, if they wanted 
to create. I'm not into the conspiracy theories, and I think that's uh, irrational and and uh, um, asinine. But if they, as as Bill Maher said, if they wanted to create a bioweapon to destroy the West, would be an act of war, and we would now be at war with the Chinese if that's what we thought had happened based on the impact they had had, which is far more than many, many conventional, if not nuclear weapons would have done based on the impact this thing has had. And a lot of it certainly we've allowed it to have. And the behavior, let's look at Senator Feinstein. She releases a letter this week in which she's telling the Trump administration to send $5 billion in relief to Iran. To Iran, because they're suffering from the ravages of, of the coronavirus. But she helped block $250 billion in aid to Americans this week. <laughs> Don't you see the odd hypocrisy not to mention if you think that money that we send Iran will go to the people of Iran you are mistaken none of the money that President Obama sent them as part of the nuclear deal which was a disaster ended up going to the people ended up going to Syria to help Assad commit genocide against his people helped spread terror into Yemen and through Hezbollah and elsewhere around the region. And yet Senator Feinstein is still trying to tell us to give Iran $5 billion. Not to mention Secretary Pompeo did offer help repeatedly that they refused to accept. They openly refused to accept it. So I don't know what she's talking about, but it really goes to show you where we are. Now, last news item, folks. The UN this week said they're going to run out of money by the end of April. Oh, so why is why are governments unable to pay their dues? The UN's proving to be a failed operation. Sorry if I'm not one of the ones that believes that that payment of dues should be the last thing that the government pays out this year in our billables. Go ahead, send us the collection. We've been paying twenty five percent of that 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 monstrosity of a of a of a dictator's club as they focused obsessively on Israel and other democracies in their attempt to weaken democracy and empower authoritarians like Putin and G and the monarchs of the Middle East and the dictators of the Middle East. Oh, and what about who? The World Health Organization. It's time for their blindness to the reality of what's been happening with COVID to be held accountable for. Their director general needs to resign, just as Senator Marco Rubio called for. They've been wanting us to trust a communist regime that's been intent on deception every day. The cover-ups have been ignored. In fact, the WHO themselves in interviews proved that they were part of the cover-up. They refused to talk about the differences of what's happening in Taiwan, in Singapore, 
and elsewhere compared to actually what's happening in China and how false the numbers are. So every disaster, every stressor, every conflict we have ends up unroofing the difference between transparent democratic institutions that deal with truth and that which is rational and provable versus those that are authoritarian and deal in propaganda and groupthink. The red-green axis will continue their collectivist thought under the name of whatever it takes to destroy free thinkers and use whatever tool it can. And today's tool this month is coronavirus. Month to month, they'll find some other instruments to invoke more control centrally over the rest of us. Praying for all of you. I hope your families are staying safe and healthy. I hope uh, you're getting closer to one another and also not too much cabin fever. Because we can stay physically distant, but while being emotionally proximal and emotionally close. Stay strong, stay healthy. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. This is Judy Jasper. We'll be back next week on Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I Jasser, J-A-S-S-E-R, and also at Reform This Radio. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.